Hello, everyone, and welcome to This is the Pits. My name is Michael Oberst. And my name is Chelsea Lee Greenwood. Um, And today we're talking about a movie from 2011 called Moneyball, and it stars Jonah Hill and Brad Pitt. And Philip Seymour Hoffman, motherfucker. Philip Seymour Hoffman slides right in there. Oh, you know who else slides right in there is the hot babe. You know who's the hot babe? No, the female hot babe, Robin Wright. Oh my god, Robin Wright. Yeah, yeah, that's right. She just <laughs> lights my light my life. She lights my life right the fuck up. I'll say she makes everything wrong right. And yeah, she has the she's... voice of a Robin. Yeah. You're okay. you're Robin Wright about that. <laughs> okay, we're not gonna do this the whole episode. Um, Robin, Robin. Oh man, I'm tired. Anyway, so today it's a Monday, which we don't normally record on Mondays. Chelsea Moneyball just got Monday. off of work. Moneyball Monday. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, so what did you what what did you think about this movie? Because I've been nonstop talking about this movie since we started the podcast. But what did you think about it? Someone well, who's never seen it. Clearly, it's a great movie because it's a great story, and Aaron Sorkin wrote slash rewrote the script, and I am a huge Sorkinite. So obviously, and Soderbergh. Sorry. And Steven Soderbergh. Oh, he wrote it. He yes. doesn't have a credit. Oh my God! There's a whole long story about it. I don't know if I should dive right into it, but please dive, dive it's, out. It's kind of crazy what the the way that this movie came to be. Yeah. Because... Before you start, I just want to say oh. that. For this movie, most of the research I did was watching Jonah Hill and Brad Pitt or like Brad Pitt and the real Bean, like in video interviews. Normally I read transcripts. Oh, yeah. And every single interviewer was like, tell us about the story about how this got made and why was it so hard to get made? So I just want to give you that that diving board for you to take a dip into why it was so hard to get made. Well, I'd be interested to hear what, what they said to that because... Um... I don't know. It sounds like they just kind of shit talk people. And the the one that I read was really just like people continually fucked up and the movie almost didn't get made. Um, and it sounds like it was a really, really hard movie to work on. Like it just, there were so many things, so many people involved. Like, first of all, it's a studio movie, but that yeah. they wanted to have, have an indie feel. So, which it didn't. I thought it did in some ways, but it also felt very studio-y in a lot of ways. But I think I could I see that they got that indie feel that they were going for. What does that mean? It, Break that down for me. I'm curious. Indie, I guess it just means like, um, I don't know. I, I guess I'm sort of biased because I think any movie shot in the Bay Area has an indie feel because... Sure. And also the Oakland A Stadium is janky as fuck. So I guess the movie looks poor. <laughs> so, because they really shot their wad on Brad Pitt's salary, which was over ten million dollars, um, and that's such bullshit. Because he was well, according to the press, he was the one that kept the thing alive the whole time. He was well. He was so. Let me just tell the story. So he basically this guy wrote the movie. I forget his name. And in two thousand four, he wrote this movie. Mm-hmm. And then you know, Zala Zala Zalaman. Something like that. Salamander. They they bought the movie off of... Sony bought the movie off of him. And they had Steven Soderbergh slated to direct it. And he was working with this this writer. And then the writer, once Brad Pitt got attached, the writer was like, fuck that, I'm out. Because Brad Pitt was too 
wanted to be too involved. Brad Pitt wanted to basically produce. Um, mm-hmm. So the writer bailed. So then it was just Soderbergh and um, another dude whose name I cannot remember right now. So I obviously did a lot of research. Um, but anyway, so these two writers and Soderbergh were the ones attached. Brad Pitt was attached. Um, they were just like hemorrhaging money because Soderbergh, like in some of the other movies we've watched of his in the past, mm. he has these big ideas of like what the movie should be. Um, Can you remind me of one of the movies that we watched in the past? I'm um, Yeah, well, Chelsea, he did all of the Oceans movies. Oh, yeah. You know what's so funny? I was thinking on the train as I was riding over here to do this podcast. I was like, I'm so glad that we're out of the Brad Pitt, George Clooney, Matt Damon mode and now Brad's on his own acting in great movies because for so long it was like the it was like they were the fucking rat pack because of Soderbergh and the Ocean series yeah I'm just like so glad we've moved into a new realm anyway yeah Soderbergh was trying to do a thing so Soderbergh like in the Ocean's movies he has this like grand idea of what the movie needs to be and so he keeps asking for more and more money and especially since now he's proven that he knows what to do with all this money um but they wouldn't give it to him. And, and then at the, like, a few, like, a week before they were supposed to start shooting, Soderbergh changed the script in a way that Sony did not like. And so... Well, don't fuck with Sony. Never work with Sony. Unless it's Sony, Sony Pictures Classics is the only one you should work with. Well, but they don't, even, they don't even finance movies. They only buy movies that are already made. But That's exactly right. Anyway... Um, so so Soderbergh left because of the the creative differences, and that's what that's all Brad Pitt will say about it. He's like, well, Soderbergh just had different ideas about where the movie should go. Yeah, and everybody's I, so PC about this whole thing, but it's like yeah. so hard to make. But it's like, how many people got fired over this debacle over these years? Seriously, it's multiple. And yeah. and I I guess like the way Soderbergh wanted it to go was more in the way that he wanted it to feel the way Ocean's movies did, where it was a little more cheeky, a little more funny, a little more upbeat, and that's what he was changing. And whereas Brad wanted it to be more like what it was where he's like, I think Billy Bean is a character, like a, a a real character who's not goofy and lighthearted and funny. I think he's takes this very seriously and there's more to it than just the immediate game at hand. I think he's got deeper problems. That's so interesting. I'm really curious how a comedic spin on this movie would go whether or not it would be successful. I mean, I do think that Soderbergh right. has that way of making movies move, even if it's a serious subject matter. I think like, Soderbergh could be entertaining. does. Yeah. I, so I'm sure he could pull it off. I just, this movie is so what this movie is. Like, there's never a question. It's like such a fucking movie's movie, where it's like, yeah, the hero is complex. Brad Pitt says over and over and over again. Movie. Yes, he says over and over and over again, they're like, Brad, why did you fight so much for this movie? And he goes, well, I, it reminded me of a movie from the 70s where the character never really changes, but the world around him does. So the character's the same from the beginning to the end and that he loves his family and that he's a serious guy. He's never going to like jinx the, the, the players. But at the same time, you know, things, the action is... The movie is centered on him, but the action is around him is changing. So right. Brad Pitt says that in every single one of the interviews. It was like one of his points to make. Yeah. So I'm curious if that would be the same. If that would be the same if it was humorous. Well, I don't know, but Soderbergh does have a way. You're right. He has a way of balancing that and making yeah. that work, and that's like his specialty. And I think 
I think that it just wasn't working. And so when, when Soderbergh left and they were he had but Soderbergh had already spent ten million dollars of the budget plus Brad what, Pitt's on Brad? salary. On no Close on to twenty top million of Brad. dollars now. Yes. Well, but Brad's salary was over ten. They won't say how much, but on the low end is ten. What was he spending ten million on? Oh, because it was a week before shooting. It was a week before <gasps> shooting. Ivoy. Wait, so he changed the script a week before shooting? In in a way that yeah, that the that Brad Pitt the producers and Sony didn't like. And so he, and oh. he had, he was already spending too much money. And so Sony just like pulled the plug and they were like, we're not making this movie. Oh, I want to read that script. Yeah. And then I know. So do so I. So what and year then, was that? 2010. And then uh, Amy Pascal, who was one of the producers, she's the one who really saved the movie. Her and Brad together saved the movie because Pascal came in and she was like, look, I can make this movie for $50 million. And that includes the $10 million you've already spent, and it includes Brad Pitt's salary. So basically, I'm going to make this movie for less than $30 million. Wow. Um, and so Amy Pascal, straight up, she just, I mean, she moneyballed it. She, she moneyballed this movie. <laughs> and she got herself. She played the odds. She played the odds, and she played the numbers. And she got herself a rock star cast. She mm. also happened to be a producer on The Social Network, which had been filming that year as well. Sorky. Yep, which is a Sorkin movie. And she goes over and gets Aaron Sorkin and one of the other writers from that movie. And she Can says, you imagine hey. being like, uh, Soderbergh pulled out. I'm just going to call Aaron Sorkin. I know. <laughs> and so she just get those, gets those fucking guys to just come on over and like rewrite the script and make it what it became. And Brad was thrilled by that, obviously. And then they didn't have a director because also Soderbergh was gone. Brad suggested his good friend Bennett Miller... Um, who he knew somehow. And um, Bennett Miller had directed Capote in the past. Bennett Miller was on. P-H-C-S. Wait, P-S-H. P-S-H. Yeah. Philip Seymour Hoffman. He got um, on board. (laughs) Yeah. And he says, he he comes on and and Philip Seymour Hoffman goes, oh, I'd love to work with Brad Pitt. What's... um, has the role of Art Howe been cast yet? And he said, no, not yet. We're in the final stages of casting. Would you want to do it? And he's like, yeah, I would. And so he's like, great. Philip Seymour Hoffman, the fucking boss-ass bitch himself, who died, I think, in 2012, right? 2013? Um, let's look at that. He died very soon after that. I remember when he died you, so clearly. It was so, so sad. And Oh, no, he died in 2014. So I guess it was a few years later. But still, this is one of his final roles. Um, it's just one of his final roles, and you know what I was thinking is um, what I was thinking is what we haven't mentioned about this movie is that Chris Pat- Pratt is in it, and he's a young little starry-eyed angel oh. of my heavens to be. I literally wrote and down that I shrieked when I, I saw Chris Pratt. I did not have any idea. But can you imagine being a young Chris Pratt? Was Park- Parks and Rec was in full swing at this point, right or no? Full swing, yeah, full swing. And so he. Can you imagine being Chris Pratt or even Jonah Hill and like staring down fucking Philip Seymour Hoffman? Or Brad Pitt? Or Brad Pitt in like your first roles? Like Jonah Hill really hadn't done that no, much at Hill, this point. No, he had. He had fully established himself as a comedic actor. He had done. But not a serious. No, it's his first serious role. And that's and that was a big deal for him, too, because he was like, I want to do. And I think he probably took a discount. He probably was able to take a discount to help with their budget. But he wanted to do a role that was a real acting role. Because he had and, been sorry. doing... Um, 
No, well, that, that, that's okay. That's, oh, he also did Megamind. I forgot he did Megamind with Brad, so they knew each other. I know. I kept thinking about that. And also, again, I watched all these videos, and they um, – so I'm just painting my nail because I saw nail polish, and I can't see nail polish and not use it, so I'm hiding it from my website. <laughs> okay. Anyway, you're four years old. I love that. I, <laughs> I kept thinking about how um, – I kept thinking about that, but also their relationship – was really interesting to watch unfold because I feel like I have this feeling in my guts that Jonah Hill's a real fucking asshole. <laughs> I, I don't know. I don't think he is. I, I don't have that, that he, feeling. I think, and I'll tell you, in fact, I know. Oh, okay. <laughs> he went to my rival high school. Oh, my God. And so I happen to know that he's kind of a dick. But this is all hearsay stories. You know, when you're a famous person, you do one bad thing and people get back to you. Anyway, in my head, he's also a you're a dick, dick in high school, and then now you're like 35 years old, and people are like, he's a full blown asshole. But also, he's like notorious. There's all these like gossip columns about him being mean to waitresses and like just being that kind of a famous asshole. Ah, oh, that sucks. So everything I've watched, I mean, outside of the movie, and this goes to say how good he was in the movie because I wasn't thinking about any of that when I was watching him, and I think he, I, I genuinely think he's a great actor. But when I was watching the press, I was like, you fucking dick trying to be friends with my boy, Brad, like trying to. And they were friends. She well, you know, a good a good asshole will convince uh, people who aren't assholes like Brad Pitt, like a good asshole like Jonah would be able to convince someone like Brad Pitt that he's not an asshole because he doesn't have to be an asshole to Brad and he can hide it. But when no. he's alone, I with think the I would like to give my boy Brad a little bit more credit. I think that he knows how to read a person. I think Brad also sees the good in people. He's I think he's an optimist when he meets people and he thinks that everyone has an inherent <laughs> good about them. I cannot imagine that to be true. But what because what about his relationship with Angie? I think he wanted it to work. I think he saw the inherent good in it. And I think he wanted it to work They were together for eight years. I don't know. I think he's been swept up one too many times. What about Juliette Lewis? Devil Spawn. Well, I don't, I don't think it took very long for her to realize she was an actual, like she was Beelzebub herself. <laughs> She's just, <laughs> he, but that's what I'm saying. He couldn't even do it. Anyway, my point is this. Being a young, fresh starting out actor, because Chris Pratt since Parks and Rec. He's become like, the biggest... I actually have to say that I think Chris Pratt has something very authentically like American about. Him. I mean, first of all, we need to 100%, also address percent, Michael. We need to address how baseball in thing. general. Baseball in general is like, and we sort of mentioned this before we even recorded that it has like an Americanness to it. Well, and, and also movies and baseball go together in this way where it's like there's no other sport. Like there are, there's a genre of baseball movies. There's no like football movies or like hockey movies there's one one-offs there's but a there's couple like, hockey movies but yeah 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 obviously there's a couple of all sport movies but there is a classic baseball movie hollywood thing totally like the sand yeah. what angels in the outfield and i feel like i feel like um chris pratt really does have a lot of an american that same same oh my lot, God. angels in the outfield kind of feeling to him. Hundred percent. He just has an American He's face. all American. He's the boy that every girl in high school in the middle of the country has a crush on. He And that's like, and he always has been that way. Even when he plays Andy on Parks and Rec and, and he's that idiot. It's like he's kind of the embodiment of like America. He's like a golden okay. retriever. Yeah. Now, non sequitur for Moneyball, but I was watching this with a non-American South African man 
So he didn't really get what I was saying. He really liked the movie. But we were talking about... Had he never seen it too? He had seen it and he liked oh, okay. it. He had seen it when it came out. But I, we talked about this th- very thing. Like, is Chris Pratt not the like epitome of America? And then mm-hmm. we started talking about Chris Pratt as Andy. And then we started talking about Jim from The Office. And then we were saying, who would you rather fuck in their current state? Because they're both beefed up. Jim or Andy? A.K.A. John Krasinski or Chris Pratt? Chris Pratt. A thousand times, right? hundred percent. Because he'd laugh in bed with you in real life. Chris Pratt, I feel like, is just too, too much of a sweetheart to actually make me feel insecure about any single thing in the entire world. Like, I'm not even worried about cancer when I'm with him. Like, I feel like I'm 100% okay and down to do anything. Whereas Jim, I would be like, are you going to be awkward? It'd be the you know? opposite. He'd be, like, scary. I feel like that's so funny because that's what Andrew said. He was like... Jim would be way too fucking brooding. He's like too serious. I want someone who we're gonna lie in bed, we're gonna giggle and schnabligle, you know? Yeah, we're just gonna like eat pizza in our underwear and laugh and like, I don't know, it'd be fun. It's gonna be so fun. It's gonna be really fun. We should all do that. Let's get Chris Pratt together and Brad. So, another question Chris Pratt over Brad? In their current state or in this movie? Um, as they looked in this movie, but not their characters. <laughs> yeah, their characters are, I mean, <laughs> poor Brad. Um, but as they looked, yeah, Chris Pratt, 100%. Interesting. Because 100%. I was watching this movie, another moment, I was, I kept being like, every other scene, I kept being like, God, Brad Pitt is so hot. He's like he getting does, into like, like older good. man vibes. But and not I kept saying, like God, older, like just daddy. Just like daddy, like, yeah, like. He looks great in this like daddy great. sort of way. And I kept writing, he's so good looking, he's so much good looking. <laughs> my boyfriend was like, Chelsea, obviously, I've lost sight of the fact that everybody thinks that Brad Pitt is attractive. You know? He's like, he's like, he's literally the measure of attractiveness in Hollywood. Why do you think you've, you're the, he's like, you yeah. legitimately think you're the only person who thinks Brad Pitt is attra- attractive? And I was like, honestly. I know. He's not wrong. I completely forgot that this isn't a secret. You know why? It's because every time I see him, it's like I'm discovering for the first time what a beautiful person he is and what, yeah. how good he looks on screen. And I'm so proud of him. Com- coming out of Tree of Life into Moneyball, it's so nice. I feel like he's... Uh, I mean, he's I take him... You know what it is? I'm taking him seriously. And I'm also wanting to bone him down. I will say, yeah, I'm, I'm going to need him to just... Just clean out my pipes. But um, Brad doesn't... (laughs) He doesn't seem like Brad in this. You know what I mean? Well, and I think that's always a good sign, right? It's a great sign. I mean, he doesn't seem like Brad, but he also... He will always be Brad. Like, he... No matter how much he doesn't seem like Brad, there's still so much of him in every role he does. And I love... I think he... He also is another person who just has a very American face to... And, like, vibe. Which is not something that we really... Like... It, go, it kind of goes without saying, but... Sure. Well, that was the point. was like, he is the picture of what America thinks is attractive. Well, right. Or has been for many years, which is why we're here, which is what the, is the podcast that we're doing. So I just, I just think that's really interesting. Yeah. Did you read that little story about how um, Chris Pratt got cast into this? Mm-mm. You didn't? Oh, okay. Well, I'll tell you that one. That's a good one, too. 
Um, so Chris Pratt went and auditioned, and they said he was too fat. <laughs> oh, and, I did. I did read this. Yeah, and they said he was too fat because uh, he just, I mean, just a, he's just a little thick, little thicklet. When he was little Andy. Thickums. When he was Andy on The Office. <laughs> thickums. He's a little Thickums. Oh, I want a cat named Thickums. <laughs> um, and then... Uh, he kept losing weight and he like, he really wanted the role. So he started losing weight and he kept going back to audition with more and more weight gone mm. until eventually he like lost a, a bunch and he like sent a picture to his agent and they, they cast him for the role. And he was, I think he did such a good job for this role. That scene that where, where they go to his house and they are talking to him and they're saying like, we want you to play first base. And he's like, uh, what? No. Like that's he has that little innocence in his eye. It's so endearing. That sweetness where he wants to say yes. And I said this before. There are some, I I really like. There's there's some straight guys who are just too nice and too sweet to be ever homophobic, and I feel like I get that vibe from Chris Pratt, where I feel like <laughs> he's never said anything mean to anyone in his life, and if he did, it was completely on accident because he genuinely doesn't have a bad thought about people. <laughs> so. This is very controversial, but I think people who don't have bad thoughts about people are low on the IQ spectrum is a nice I, way for me to say wrong. all the people I know. And you know, what's another interesting thing, which is this very dangerous territory, but super religious people who are my contemporaries, people my age who love Jesus. <laughs> yeah. They're really nice and they see the good in people and they're wonderful, wonderful people. But I can't help but think that they're idiots. You know what? I know I, being that I grew up in the church, I still know a lot of people who are m- my age, and I'm still Facebook friends with them, who are religious, and I know that they are I'm like get exactly. In trouble for this. No, you're not. Does <laughs> I no know one that listens? They, <laughs> no. <laughs> I don't think a lot of religious people do. I don't know. <laughs> you know what? Maybe you're right. Maybe we shouldn't talk about religion. Ooh. I don't think that they're bad people. I and I don't think that they're stupid people. No, uh, no, no, no. I, that's my point. I don't think. I don't think. Also, I don't think Chris Pratt is stupid. I no, just me mean neither. like this is a bias on me. It's a bad thing about me. It's not a. It's not an observation on the world. Which is that when I see people that are not cynical, because I'm the most cynical person in the world, I'm like, yes. you're an idiot. But it's really because I'm the asshole and I don't know what it means to be genuinely nice. (laughs) Yeah, I was talking to somebody recently and I realized that when I'm cynical, I'm projecting my own whatever, like my own issues onto other people for being not cynical. And Mm. it's not normal for to be as cynical as I am. People like the person I was talking to is like, yeah, most people aren't that cynical. Like no, that's that, your see, thing. I'm as cynical to say that person is an <laughs> idiot because if you go onto the internet, if you go on social media, the Twitter bred this yes. weird form of cynicism. And same thing with Instagram. There's like this weird, the internet has bred a cynicism that's new. Mm-hmm. And anybody that I am close personal friends with is cynical. Yes. Now, and that being if said. It's because I have a hard time getting close to anyone who's not at least a little bit cynical because I, to me it seems unrealistic if you're not well, a little bit cynical. Why is cynical bad? We've really gone off the fucking money ball train. Well, boy. I'm yeah, going to tie it back about... in. All of baseball was cynical <laughs> about Bean's plan. Why don't you break down what this movie's about? Just three points. Okay. Um, this movie is about the A's, the Oakland A's, 
are they would draft good players. They would do okay. The Just season like would everybody end. was drafting good players. So that's that's what like how you how the draft worked. Well, bad teams draft young players that are have a lot of potential because that's how the draft works. And then those players live up to their potential, and then they get bought out by teams with more money. And that's what happened to the A's. And so Billy Bean, played by Brad Pitt, says we need to approach this differently, and we can't go use the old way of scouting and the old way of scouting was where they say no you know he's got an ugly girlfriend so that means he's got no confidence he's not gonna be able to hit the ball and they have all these weird these weird reasons for why you should or shouldn't draft people but that's how all of baseball worked brad pitt says we need to approach this differently he brings in a young uh economist statistician played by jonah hill who has a uh a unique approach to baseball which is yeah but i love that storyline of how he finds jonah hill i know that is a it's a fun little do you want to tell it or yes so he finds jonah hill he goes and he says i want to he's trying to make a trade he's trying to make a trade with what team was it i don't know it doesn't matter the cleveland 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 indians yikes yikes and there's that scene and it popped up and everybody in the room was like (laughs) (laughs) yeah yikes cleveland indians all right they're still the cleveland indians they still are i mean there's been and you know what i thought that it was like a couple of old white dudes who were holding out on the name the entire fucking city of cleveland loves the name yeah they love the name it's shocking bringing it back to cynical people anyway anyway go on so, like, Jonah Hill's in this meeting, and he, like, mentions something about stats or whatever, and he's, like, an intern, and he's sitting at a cubicle, and, like, this is why I, I said earlier that this is, like, a movie's movie, because it's, like, all of a sudden there's, like, chimes in the background, and Brad Pitt approaches this, like, young intern's cubicle, and he's, like, hey, kid, what do you have to say? I'm going to give you a chance. I'm going to pay you mine. <laughs> no, it was more like, I thought it was more like he was in the meeting, and he says, all right, I'll take your random outfielder, like, Smith or whatever, and he's, like, Smith? Yeah, Smith's, uh, all right, I mean, yeah, I think I can do Smith. Yeah. And then, like, he looks behind him, and Jonah Hill's back there, like, shaking his head, like, gently. And he says, uh, actually, I can't give you Smith. And he's like, what just happened? And then after the meeting, Brad Pitt goes up to Jonah Hill and says, who are you? And See, he's but like, this is my point. What a Hollywood moment. And I, and I appreciate that. That sounds cynical. Yeah. But I appreciate that because... Let's stop saying cynical. I'm done I with just, that word I today. said the word cynical because... <laughs> I wanted. I never want to stop saying it for the rest of the episode. So I'm glad you told me to stop because I was going to bring it up every three minutes. Yeah, we're done. Um, my point is that I think that it's um, it's kind of lovely to see that movie only in movies kind of a thing after watching so many like slice of life uh, yeah. things that are coming around. Like I don't feel like there's like movies like well, I love a character driven story that, I kept saying that over and over and over again where I was like oh my god Hollywood like cue the rain cue the like staring off into space cue the daughter like it was kind of formulaic but in a way that I really liked same and I also really liked uh yeah I mean I just like a character driven story like it's it has that same sort of feeling like like Whiplash or Three Billboards Outside Ebbing, Missouri. Do you know what I mean? Where it's like a character who just wants something desperately. No. You disagree? You no, disagree. because I didn't think 
No, because I'm not talking about that. I think you're right. A character who wants something different, a character-driven movie is is this movie. But I'm talking about the like Hollywood glitz and glamour of like the underdog story. I guess. Oh right. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. That sort of yeah. That and does like, not happen. And, I, and, and people o- were mad about that too. Right. And the only reason why. You know, when I was telling people I was going to watch this, they were like, it's not what you think it is. And it's like, oh, because they don't win the fucking pennant that year or whatever. But it is an underdog story. And, totally. and I have to say, like, that whole streak point, I looked over and I was like, this is masterful filmmaking. Like, when they got to 20, you were just sitting at the end of your seat, you know, waiting and waiting and waiting. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was great. Quick. But anyway, I guess I'm saying the underdog story of, like, Two underdogs, like two misfits, get together and create magic. It's like Hollywood, ladies and gentlemen. Yes, it's <laughs> great. By Aaron and, Sorkin. Um, let's let me Steven remind you of fucking yes, and Steven Soderbergh, and let me remind you of fucking the Social Network. Same fucking thing. I still haven't seen that, but I'll tell you, it's not The West Wing. May, may the Lord be with ye. It's my favorite show. <laughs> <laughs> okay, thing uh, I just said. Wait. Uh, did you also see that Dimitri Martin was supposed to be in this? No. Oh, yes. Yeah. He was going to be the Jonah Hill. He was going to play Jonah Hill's part, and then he dropped out. Which, And I think he would have done great, because he's super weird. Oh, also, I like that whoever was doing the casting for this, I'm assuming it must be Amy Pascal, because it seems like she's the producer who understood what Brad wanted, uh, that the role of that character should be played by somebody with comedy experience, because... That person oh. really brings out the comedic cheekiness in Brad, even though yeah. it's very subtle. No, but time and time again, in all of the reviews, in all of the interviews, it's like those moments when you're drafting and it's like Jonah's on the couch and you're behind your desk. Those are the best moments in the whole movie. The chemistry, yes. like, because it's not funny, but it, you feel like you're in on a joke still. I feel like your like chemistry an, is great. Because Jonah Hill's always like, so intimidated <laughs> and it's kind of hilarious he's really good at that and he's, he's good really at it. good at that he plays that way in the wolf of wall street too which is like he's serious but he goes off the fucking rails oh well he's very good in wolf of wall street that is yeah. such a good role that's a great fucking movie um and he does the same thing in wolf of wall street to leonardo dicaprio uh-huh where he plays oh. that foil that helps make leo have a little yeah. bit more funniness to him yeah, totally. He's really great at that. That's such a good point, Michael. Um, I wanted to say, though, while we were talking about casting, that I loved when we were sitting in the room with all the old baseball guys, and mm-hmm. they're talking about their draft. And yes. you're, you're just like, I know these are real baseball guys. I know these yes. are actors, and I wouldn't have these aren't actors, and I wouldn't have it any other way. And it's so them. satisfying to see these old men who like. They're not even really trying to act; they're just being themselves, and they do such a good job. And I just I appreciate a little bit of reality in in that underdog story, you know. Well, they did a great job because the MLB, the Major League Baseball, or whatever, they were they were they had to be heavily involved in the production, and they yeah. um, <clears throat> they at times would add authenticity, and they made it easier for the production to just hire actual MLB people, um, mm. like all those old men who did such a good job. And wait, but was it? Bob Costas in this movie? No, not that I remember, unless I don't know who Bob Costas is. I'm going to change the subject. Okay, that's a good thing, because I don't know what I'm talking about. Go for it. 
Speaking of the MLB being involved, and because they had spent all their money... Have you ever been to the Oakland A Stadium? Obviously, you're from Northern yeah. California. It's mm-hmm. literally horrendous. It's like a big oh, cement... Oh, it's a mess. It's a big cement block. The birds, they have a real bird problem, which they didn't... <laughs> I was hoping they were going to touch at it, where, where like the because it's like kind of near the water, there's pigeons and seagulls, a mass, and by the seventh inning, it's like you're in the fucking Hitchcock's The Birds. Every yeah. single game you go, and it's just like going to this like fucking prison <laughs> it's like filled with bird shit and it's like kind of fun because it is bay area um yeah but obviously it's a shithole and so there was no money to shoot in all the stadiums oh right right, right. that all the Oth- the oakland a's played in so the dodger stadium so they obviously shot at dodger stadium because they were in la and they dressed it up as eight different ballparks good for fucking them isn't that awesome i really loved that yeah um, and you know what else is kind of funny that I was going to actually say before, too? And it's related because the Oakland A Stadium shares parking lots with the, the Warriors, Oracle. the Oracle yeah. Arena, which is where the Warriors play. Mm. The Warriors also had a crazy season where they broke the record for the most wins in a regular season in that NBA year? history. Uh, not the same year. They won. They did that in like I think 2015, 2016. Yeah, that's when um, they were rising. They to won the seventy three. They won seventy three games and lost nine out of eighty games. They only lost yeah. eighty two games. They only lost nine, and then they lost the championship that year. Can you believe? Well, Oakland is cursed, and also fuck Oakland and fuck all of Oakland. Okay, where's where where does this come in from? Are well, you, I... why are you so mad? <laughs> I am from Los You're Angeles, and I when, when, remember when I lived in the Bay Area, and I, my life was miserable, and so now I always hate the Bay Area, except for San Francisco, because my brother lives there, but that's beyond the point. One more fact, Toyd. Okay, we're spiraling. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's why I'm changing the factoids. <laughs> okay, give me the factoid. <laughs> During pre-production, um, their original DP, <laughs> did you read this, was, was arrested in Connecticut on sexual assault, weapons, and explosive possession oh charges. Oh my god, explosive. <laughs> Explosive. Carries what explosive? Yeah, so that's probably part of the ten million that what's his dick had already spent. But anyway, he was replaced by the DP who ended up doing it. Can you imagine working on this movie? Can you imagine just being uh, the production manager for this movie and like one uh, day you're working with uh, with Steven Soderbergh as the director? A week away from shooting, Steven Soderbergh is directing. He drops out over the weekend. Aaron Sorkin joins in, and Brad Pitt brings in his buddy. To direct. <laughs> it's crazy. To quote my favorite production manager, I just about have kittens. <laughs> <laughs> Shout out to Debbie fucking Brubaker. The <laughs> yeah. most favorite sweetest. I would give birth to small <laughs> to small animals, she says. I just about I had kittens. <laughs> oh, I love Debbie. <laughs> oh, I wonder if she listens to this. She can handle it. Yeah. I wonder if she worked on this movie. Let's Probably. I bet she was involved in some way. I guarantee you Debbie was involved in this, but this is not interesting for our listeners, but I still want to know. No, I'm, let's talk about something else while I look this up. Okay, two other things. Uh, interesting thing that Brad said in the interview, like, you know, he was at the Toronto International Film Festival, and you know how they have those circuits where, like, different interviewers comes in? So mm-hmm. the one for this one internet thing pops up, and the interview starts with Brad Talking to his makeup artist being like, my kid pooped in the shower the other day. <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, I live for these moments. I live for these off the cuff, Brad, I'm a real person. Then Jonah comes in and he goes, 
oh man, I remember the day when I learned I couldn't poop in the shower. <laughs> and Brad goes, just yesterday? <laughs> so oh good. my God, I love that. That's so and good. And I said, when Brad is a real man, I'm a real woman. Um, and then also, this is more serious, but Brad was talking about why he wanted to make this movie happen. And he, you know, I told you he already said about the 70s thing. But he yeah. said what really intrigued him about this was the dark side of responsibility and how you're grappling with carrying the weight of your decisions on your shoulders and yeah. that whole ethos, which I think was really well portrayed throughout the thing. There's also, yeah, there's also this whole sad... I think there's a very sad side to sports with how... And it's hard to kind of really capture that in a way that isn't super cheesy or mm. overly like morose yeah. because of how rewarding sports can be when when they go well. Sure. Um, but I think they capture it well with that one character. Uh, what's his name? D- uh, David something. The, the older guy on the team. Um, by the way, Debbie didn't work on this movie, but the older guy, I bet she knew everybody who worked on this movie, David justice, the guy who played David justice, the, mm. like that thing where, when players are like fucking 33, suddenly they're considered old. And oh my like, God. That scene. Yeah. Was and probably the best scene in the movie. So good. And, and also how Brad Pitt, like as a young person didn't do well in professional baseball. See, I could have done without that. No, I think it was totally necessary to his character. I think his character, it it explains his motivations a lot. See, I always feel, not always, but most of the time for me, cynical Greenwood. (laughs) We're not using that word anymore. (laughs) Chelsea, new word. Um, No, well, no, for me, I, I thought... It gave, I didn't want to know that. I didn't think it was necessary. I, it, I, you're right. It did develop. It did exactly what it set out to do. I just didn't really need that. I kind of didn't need his story. I thought it made it so cheesy. Really? Yeah. I'm sorry to say. Interesting. Yeah. It's I can't weird really that back you're it wrong up. this time. Yeah. Um... I know. It feels so weird to be wrong. I know I'm wrong. I just... I. <laughs> I didn't care. I also didn't really ca- I mean, what I'm about to tell you is that I did not care about the heart. I didn't care about his wife. I didn't care about his daughter. Oh. Remember when Spike Jones popped into this fucking thing for two seconds? He plays no. st- her his ex-wife's new husband. Oh, yeah. I forget that Spike Jones. Like, I always get him confused with Spike Lee, and I'm like, Spike Jones was not in this movie. I was like, what the hell is Spike fucking Jones doing there? Anyway, Random. I was just like, I didn't care about... He has two lines. I didn't need to have the ex-wife story. All I needed was the daughter story. And I didn't even really need the daughter story, but I get it. And I also thought she was a good songwriter. But I also wanted to punch her in the face. I didn't care about his being a kid. And that made all of that extra fluff made the movie a little too long. It's too early for No, I, I, I disagree. I think... I knew you were going to disagree because that's not a popular opinion, Michael. No, it's not a popular opinion, mainly because it's wrong. Um, No, its opinions (laughs) are not wrong. Well, usually they're not, but in this case, it is. (laughs) Okay, wait. We'll get into this when we do our ratings. I want to know how much money it costs to make this. Okay. Well, like I mentioned before, this movie had a $50 million budget, um, which I think is a – Depending on how you look at it, it either had a $30 million budget or a $50 million budget. But 
let's say 50 because that's really how much money they spent. Mm. Um, it's opening weekend. It made $19.5 million. Behind, here's a fun thing, behind The Lion King. <laughs> re-released. Which was, it must have been re-released because yeah. it was, it made, The Lion King made $21 million. And on Box Office Mojo or whatever, it said that The Lion King was on its 902nd week in theaters. Whoa. And to that point, it had made like three hundred and ninety-three million dollars. Whoa! I <laughs> think so Lion like, King is better than Moneyball. Don't well, ask me. Yeah, I'm not. No one's gonna fight you on that. But it was like I thought you were gonna fight me on that. I'm really glad to hear that you didn't. No, no, the Lion King's a masterpiece. Um, <laughs> Thank you, Michael. For but it's sake. just, <laughs> it's just weird that that they would list it as I think it's just weird that they would list it as its 902nd week. Like what a fucking streak. <laughs> what source is this? Yeah. What a great streak for the line. I mean like I know, like I know it's a good movie but Wait, where are you getting this? <laughs> where, where are you getting this information from? It's Box Office Mojo. I'm telling you like it tells you what week what what movies were doing well the week that you like look at it. And so I looked at the week of September 23rd right. or when when Moneyball came out. And it says that it was right behind The Lion King, so which funny. was listed at number one on its 902nd week in theaters. <laughs> That's like when you ask someone how old their like obviously old child is, like a three-year-old, and they're like, 123 weeks. Yeah, and, and you're, you're like, like, kill yourself. <laughs> you're like, three years old is okay to say, you asshole. Yeah, three years old is fine to say. If you're listing by weeks, that means you can still abort it. So. Yeah. <laughs> um, um, Okay. Anyway, anyway so. so it's so it's opening weekend. It made nineteen point five million total domestic. It made seventy five point six million. Mm-hmm. Um, its total worldwide, including domestic, was uh, one hundred and eleven point three million. So it didn't. No. Most of the movies we watch do pretty well. Yeah. Um, internationally, but this one, I think, because it's such an American story, totally. yeah, um, that it's not gonna. It, it will only do well with countries that like baseball, and even then only kind of well because Brad Pitt's in it. Um, so it, it didn't how make it, it in Japan. Japan loves baseball. Japan loves baseball and Brad Pitt. So who knows? Um, That's surprising though, given the reviews, which I'd like to share with you now, if you don't mind. Uh, last thing, DVD sales were 35.2 million. So overall, well, how many it years up. is that? Do DVD sales count? Like initially, like initial release? No, I think it covers up till now. Oh, Okay. But, like, how much money is it really making in, like, 2018 or 19? I'll tell you what. I paid $3.99 to rent it. Me too. And you know what's so fucking infuriating is that I own this movie on DVD. But (laughs) my my DVD player wasn't working, which is, like, my PS4. It, like, wasn't... It, like, for some reason, it's an old PS4. It shits the bed whenever I try to watch a DVD on it. So I had to fucking pay for it, too. I know. That's why I own it. Um... I'm not surprised you paid for it twice because you've been talking about how much you love this movie since we started this podcast. Are you excited and for me to not talk about it anymore? <laughs> no, no. I, I want you to talk about it for forever and for always because I'm not a cynical lady and I love you for who you are. <laughs> okay. I love, I love you for who you are too except for when you say cynical because we're done with that word. Well, let me tell you, the reviewers of this movie were not cynical. It had high reviews <laughs> from top to bottom. I understand. <laughs> you should see Michael's face. He almost punched me. Um, 7.6 out of 10 on IMDb 94 on Rotten Tomatoes which is pretty damn high for a rotten tea if I see anything above a 90 I'm going to absolutely watch it no matter what Um, Mm -hmm. 87% on Metacritic wow Mm -hmm. 
97% um, on Google, Google's users like this movie. Are you ready? No surprises there. Yeah, no surprises. I mean, it's a good movie. Um, the EW gives it an A minus with this quote that I wrote down. Um, as an act, this is they liked the movie. They recapped it. They liked it, whatever. But I pulled this quote because they talked specifically about Brad Pitt, and this is a Brad Pitt podcast. So um, they okay. said, as an actor, Brad Pitt has aged like a fine wine. In Moneyball, he's in classic game-on movie star mode, his hair flopping with boyish insolence over his rugged features. But beneath his funny, exhilarating, tossed-off strut of a performance, he gives Billy a deep river of self-doubt, as well as a need to prove himself that never, qu- never quite, as well as a need to prove himself that never quite comes out and shows itself. That's it, nagging power. That's pretty good. I was like pretty much sums up how I felt about his performance in this movie. And then yeah. Roger Ebert fucking was jizzing all over it and he gave it four stars and I fucking Roger Ebert is about to die in the life of this podcast and then I'm going to be sad but I hate him. You're going to be sad. I'm not going to be sad. I mean Well, he's a human life. Don't be so cynical. <laughs> oh my god, I'm going to fucking hang up on you right now. <laughs> um all right, so what? Well, let's do. I guess it's time for our ratings then. It's time for our ratings. And yeah. I, I still, even after this whole podcast, I feel like you like this movie only because you can't dislike it, but you don't really love it that much. Am I correct in that, or how do you feel? Tell me how you feel. Do we're we going to start... mansplain your own feelings to you. Are, are we? Are we starting? We're so we're starting with our overall general vibes of this movie. Well, yeah, I want yours because I just don't understand. I don't know how, where you are really. I mean, I generally do, but I need you to. Uh, I like. I I liked this movie. I would watch it again. I would tell people to watch it. Uh, but there's a few things at play that make me not fucking love it. I mean, I think the story itself is great, and I love a good sports story. But I'm not really a big fan of baseball, and I don't know. I, it's it's like it was a good movie. I don't. I don't think it's special. That's, and I okay. love Aaron Sorkin. And and I guess maybe maybe it's because you were talking it up so much. You know how when like really right. great movies you hear too much and like then then you don't like it as much as you think you're going to. Like had I not heard it was good, I probably really would have loved that. Which is a sad thing to say, but it's true. Yeah, I was afraid of that. Yeah. Um, but but I, I did like it. it. Like I'm not going to rate it low. I'll probably give it like a seven point. Seven to an eight. Okay. Even seven point seven because fuck that fucking ex-wife and fuck that stupid bitch daughter. Well, hold on. So, all right. So, I guess that's where yours is. You are. Um. Well, hold on. He says to me. (laughs) I mean, I'm still drawing the word ratings. (laughs) Just so everybody knows, I write down our ratings so that we can later. See how we felt about movies. Chelsea's going ahead and giving her rating. I'm still writing the word ratings. Well, maybe you should come prepared. Some of us oh. come prepared, bitch. Oh, no, not me. I don't. I never do. Um, all right, so you're giving it a 7.7, just so specific. <laughs> and I just, I mean, I guess I, I kind of can't argue with you because you're not saying it's, you're not saying anything definitive that it's bad, but you're just saying that you weren't really blown away by it. I, on the other hand, you don't even need to tell me twice. I I like this movie. I like this movie a lot. It's one of those movies that makes me feel good about making movies. It's one of the movies that I like. Oh, that's great. I love it when I hear the, that. 
Well, it it does because it's it's just I love character driven movies like this where it's mm-hmm. just somebody who wants something so bad and they when I especially love it when they don't get it. I don't know why, but I love because I just think that that's so that's the true story in that's the true like outcome of the American dream. See, but that's why I think that the fallacy. I think that's why people like this movie more than they do, even though they don't really like. Well, I think it's, I think not having things go your way and failing spectacularly and continuing to go for it is just as much a part of the American dream, if not more, than actually succeeding at something. Oh, absolutely. But that, sure. But that's like what happened in real life. That wasn't movie making. Oh, like, also, we didn't even talk about how so many people who were really involved in this actual real life story, because this is based on a true story, which we did not mention yet. Yeah. Um, this is based on a true story, but they changed a lot of the details. For example, Billy Bean had remarried. And in the movie, he's wearing a wedding ring the whole time, but they never talk about it. They deleted the scene where he's with his new wife. Um, but he's remarried, and he's like not hung up on his ex-wife or anything. And I know. Um, they also they use their like old-school scouting techniques for a lot of the players that they did have on the team. Like Barry Zito, who I don't know if you remember... But Barry Zito was like a really good pitcher for the A's mm. in the 2002 team. And like everyone had a Barry Zito jersey. He was great. He was not part of Billy Bean's like new system. He was drafted using the old techniques. And they didn't even include him in the movie. And they like cut out things to make their story stronger. Anyway, it made people who were involved so mad, which to yeah. me is like. It's a fucking movie. Like, the movie is good. The story that they tell in the movie is good. Yeah, but you know, it's one of those things. Implication is really strong. It's like, you want your story. If you're going to have a story made about you, you want your story to be told accurately, whether or not that's good or bad. I mean, I get it. I'm not saying it's right. Yeah, that's true. But also, I watched this interview when Brad Pitt was talking to, it was an interview with Brad and Billy Bean. And Billy Bean was like, it's, I have to be honest, it's kind of weird He's like, Brad and I are friends, and it's totally cool, but he was like, it is hard. It's kind of weird to grapple with a story being told about you that's not 100% accurate, especially when you do have a family. And, like, you know, however your story is spun is the way that people are going to always think about you regardless of whether or not it's true. You know? So I get it. I get being sensitive about it, but, but like, also movies is movies and stories is stories. And, like, people often forget. You know how many people forget? Like, people will see – Fucking Chris Pratt, for instance, and they'll call him by they'll call him Andy Dwyer. I know. <laughs> you right? know, it's like people have a hard time understanding that because they. Cause yeah. Anyway, anyway, anyway. So, what's your score for this movie? Nine. Damn, bitch. I just think it's really good. I I can't think of like I can't really think of any serious flaws with it it's just such a good solid american ass movie that makes me feel good about movies and storytelling and brad does a great job brad carries the movie which he doesn't always do well and he cried i know oh did you so see it, that they were on the alameda runway by the way yeah i saw they were on the alameda runway every time they went i said boop, boop, boop. that's a mythbusters thing anyway so let's this will lead right into your score for brad then you thought he carried the movie you thought he did a good job I did, yeah. I mean, he was nominated for Best Actor. Oh, we didn't even talk about all the Oscar nominees. This movie was nominated for Best Picture, Best Actor, Best Supporting Actor, and Best Editing. It did not win any. <laughs> but <laughs> one Best Movie that year? Best Best Picture was The Artist. Oh, that's right. Um, Same year, 2011. Yeah, and 
and the artist also won Best Actor. Brad was nominated for Best Actor, didn't win. Uh, Best Supporting Actor, uh, this movie called Beginners won, some guy from Beginners. And then uh, Jonah Hill was nominated for Best Supporting. He did not win. Okay, tell me what you thought Brad's score is. Sorry. Uh, Brad's score was... I'm going to give him a nine because he cried. He cried. I can't see... I can't imagine very many ways that he could have done better. I think he, he got into this character really well and he... I think he slayed the game. I thought he slayed the game too. I'm going to give him an eight and I'll tell you why. He did this squint thing that I've seen him do uh, in a couple movies where he's acting. And now, had I not been watching this for his sake, I probably wouldn't have judged him so harshly. But that little squint he did, combined with a few stare-offs into the distance... Gets on your nerves. Just a little. You know, obviously I love a cry. I love an outbreak. I love him working out. I thought... Let me ask you, how much How much did you love when he was snapping and pointing at people in the room? Oh, my number one sexual crush of all time. Yeah, yeah. And I also, it's like, this was a role... This was a new and different role for him. Like, he's never totally. played anything like this. So I really appreciated that. It was nice to see. And I, th- I think he pulled it off and I'd watch him again. But not quite a nine. I'd, I'd give him an eight. Um, and then for looks... Well, before we do looks on Brad, we should do Mary Fuck Kill. Oh, well. Okay. So we're going to do Jonah Hill, Brad Pitt, Chris Pratt. You kill Jonah Hill. There's no question there. Poor thing. His little fucking <laughs> beak nose. Well, he's a dick. <laughs> uh, you marry Chris Pratt and you fuck Brad Pitt. Yeah, that's the correct answer. That is I think the you're right. Answer. You know what else? Do you I'm do? trying to think. I'm trying to think if there's a third person we can replace Jonah Hill Philip with. Philip Seymour that. Hoffman. Kill Philip Seymour Hoffman. I mean, is there another person <laughs> in the movie who you would want? Um, may he rest in peace. May he rest in peace. But I'd kill him. I'd kill him a second time if I had to. <laughs> <laughs> um, no, but I don't. I guess there's not really any other characters in this movie who I would. Who would be a contender with Chris Pratt and Brad Pitt? Yeah, <clears throat> I know. I think. Right? right. I think that's right. Sorry, I, just, <laughs> I got real bad just allergies. Went, just went through puberty really quick. All right. Well then, okay. I guess that's the right answer there. So Brad Pitt's looks. What do you give him? Uh, I give him a nine. I give him an eight. I give him a seven point seven. I give him an eight point two. I give him. A... <laughs> oh my god! Get a hold of yourself. <laughs> I give him a seven point nine. All right, so specific. Eight point one. And I just have no. It's too late. You gave him a seven point nine, and I have. There's absolutely no explaining why you gave it a seven. It's my guts. It's my heart meter. These things can't be explained. You cynical asshole. Ooh, so glad we're almost done with this episode. (laughs) Uh, I'm gonna give Brad Pitt's Pitt's looks an eight. Damn. I just don't like a visor. In general, on a man. Yeah, I mean, he doesn't look bad in this movie, but he's not really. But I did think I kept saying every scene he's so hot, he's so hot. But <coughs> like, I prefer him in a styling like Tree of Life, like clean cut. Oh, uh, one note that I really quick had. Um, wh- why? Why did they make that one reporter who was reporting on the A's such a bitch? <laughs> Like it was, she would never entered again. They, she had a whole montage of her just being a complete asshole to all the players, <laughs> and then she went away forever. Oh yeah, what the fuck was that? Because everybody in that time hated women. 
In 2011? I guess so. I mean, I guess you could People are only now about. starting to like women. <laughs> <laughs> and it's a hard road. I know. Ugh, it's so sad. That On that funny. really sad, sad note. Um, happy feet. Next week is happy feet. Two. Yeah. Happy feet two. Yeah. And uh, Brad Pitt plays Will the Krill. Uh, and I'm going to have a guest star for my five-year-old niece, Ruby Mae Johnson, who's going to give us her thoughts. So tune in. To hear her ramblings of a five-year-old. Great. I can't wait. Great. All right. Bye, friends, listeners, pals, cynics out there. We love you. Love you. Bye. Bye.